Good morning, this is Haim Goodman-Strauss with The Math Factor, where I'm pleased to report that we made it home after a long drive, some, some of it in the wrong direction, uh, but we got back. Here is our interview with Stephen Wolfram from The Gathering for Gardener 9, and uh, this was previously posted as part of a longer thing, but I thought I'd pull it off and into a separate post. Listen carefully to what he has to say. I think these are very important issues. Next week, I'm going to post a very long interview with Greg Chayton that I've been sitting on for a couple of years. It needs an introduction like this to have it make some sense. So, uh, without any further ado, Stephen Wolfram. Ah, and as an added bonus, Stephen Wolfram. Hi, Stephen. Hi there. Um, so, uh, can you tell us about the um, principle of... Computational equivalents? Oh, my gosh. So, so a person walks up to you with a little recorder and says, tell me about this basic fundamental principle. Well, okay, so the, the point of the principle of computational equivalents is more or less this. When you, when you sort of look around the computational universe of simple programs and things like that, there's the question of uh, how complicated is the behavior that they show. And you might think as the programs, as you made the programs progressively more complicated, they would, their behavior would get correspondingly more complicated. That doesn't seem to be what happens. Instead, what happens is above some very low threshold, you immediately get to programs that are sort of maximal of, in, their, in the sophistication of the computations that they can do. And that, that, uh, that has all sorts of implications. It's a sort of basic principle that, that you know, I came up with from just looking empirically at lots of things in the computational universe. Um, but uh, uh, once you have that principle, there are, there are lots of consequences that, that you can look at and you know, can kind of verify that principle by doing experiments and so on. So, for example, there's an implication that there should be lots of systems that are capable of universal computation. And we know of a few very nice, simple examples. Uh, another thing is that uh, it, undecidability should be really common among systems that are sort of chosen arbitrarily in the computational universe as opposed to systems that maybe we uh, choose to look at because that's what our engineering has led us to or that's what the methods that we know how to deal with allow us to, to, to work with. And there are other implications like computational irreducibility, which is sort of a, has the implication that um, uh, when you try and study a system, that you can't expect to be able to sort of jump ahead and figure out what the system is going to do more efficiently than, than just by essentially watching each, each step and doing the same kind of computation that the system itself has to do. So anyway, lots of uh, uh, w one of the things that's sort of interesting about principle of computational equivalence, it's, um, it's something which is kind of, it's not clear whether it's a, a fact about mathematics, a fact about the universe, uh, a, uh, a definition of things. It has sort of a, an epistemological character. It's a little bit like the second order of thermodynamics in that sense. It's not, not in terms of content, but in terms of sort of its, its role um, as, you know, is it something which is talking about the computations that can happen in our universe? To some extent it is. Is it something that is provable mathematically? To some extent it is. Um, and, uh, uh, and so on. So it's, it's something, uh, it's sort of a, a guiding principle that uh, suggests a lot of things that one should study about the computational universe. And it really, this uh, phenomenon really kicks in immediately, like the 2-3 Turing machine and the Rule 110 are fantastic examples. Yes, right. So, I mean, one of the things that, you know, when you, when you make up a principle in mathematics or something, a sort of fundamental principle, there's, uh, <coughs> people say, well, you know, uh, the, the, does it, so, so what's the point of this? Well, the point of this is something very much like has happened in many areas of science, that the, the principle has predictions. And one of its predictions is that these sort of very simple things like cellular automata and Turing machines 
that uh, uh, look complicated in their behavior should actually be possible to be proved to be universal. And um, it's, you know, we have two great examples. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward over the, over the next probably decade or so, there'll be a few more examples. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe at some point there'll be a, a case where there's a system that looks to us complicated but turns out to be proved not universal. Right. Um, that would be pretty interesting right. too. I mean, I know, uh, you know, what, what usually happens sort of below the threshold of universality, you get things like, well, first you get repetitive behavior, then you get nested fractal type behavior. Um, and I don't think there's another level of sort of orderly behavior, um, but there are a few indications from, from things in number theory and so on that there might be some sort of additional levels of things. Do you think that the 3x plus 1 problem, the Collett's conjecture, rises to that, whether it's decidable, whether a given number... Yeah, yeah, right. So, so that's a that's a really interesting case, and you know, to try and think about that, I've I've uh, uh, I've sort of looked at the generalizations of that kind of thing because we know when when you generalize it to these sort of collections of arithmetic uh, recurrences that we can get undecidability, sure, like so, Bractran and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So the question is, how far out do you have to go? We know when you go far enough out, you're you're undecidable. The question is, um, uh, when. Um, uh, when, when you, you know, how, how far away is, is, um, uh, is the threshold of undecidability? Um, and, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I kind of looked at things a little bit more complicated than 3x plus 1, where I get the strong, you know, one gets sort of an intuition, I think, I hope, about um, when one sort of passed <laughs> Intuition is a dangerous word here. Well... I, you know, that's the point that, that, you know, as I've sort of explored the computational universe, my initial intuition was totally wrong, right. okay? So now, you know, close to 30 years later, um, you know, I've, uh, I've done enough exploration that I, I kind of think, with a possible exception of some of these systems in number theory, where, you know, what, what tends to happen, there are systems where kind of what you see in some kind of visual representation or something is a really pretty good indication of what the system is doing. In number theory, things related to numbers, sometimes there are funny things like what you really should be looking at is the factorization of the number. What you really should be looking at is some bizarre continued fraction expansion, but that's not what you kind of immediately see. So you have to put on the right kind of glasses in order to see the um, uh, kind of the, the, what the real underlying structure. And so I'm not sure if there's something like that in the 3x plus 1 problem. My, my guess would be that um, my guess would be that it's probably in the in the uh, uh, sort of undecidable bin, but um, uh, hard hard to that that one is is hard to know yeah. for sure. The, well, um, so our listeners certainly can go to the Wolfram website and see all kinds of stuff. Wolfram Demonstrations Project, Wolfram Alpha, the new kind of science. A new kind of science is online. Yes. And with all kinds of demonstrations and, of course, the book itself, which is a marvelous, beautiful thing. So thank you very much. Thanks. Yep. Thank you. That was Stephen Wolfram at the Gathering for Gardener. His book, A New Kind of Science, is a remarkable thing that should be checked out and examined carefully. Next week, we'll have an interview with Greg Chayton, who's written extensively on similar topics. And I refer you to what I hope is a fun and exciting article in the Notices of the American Mathematical Society in March on undecidable games and puzzles that illuminate these themes. Can't decide, undecide. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks.